Radio. This is Catholics Read on cradio.org.au. Hello and welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Victoria. And I was kind of, I was excited. And I'm Kiara. <laughs> I was legitimately put out there. I'm like, oh, shush, Luke. Oh, no, wait, Kiara's not here. No, Kiara is not here today. Um, yeah, it's, it's so weird. It's really, it's legitimately weird. We've <laughs> we even got this like, empty chair here with a, with a mic facing towards nothing. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> we need to explain it. So, Kiara's very busy with her, um, with her thesis writing at the moment. Um, keep her in your prayers. Uh, if Well, yeah, you'll probably hear this... Um, um, Even okay. so, if her studies are over, you can still pray yeah, for her. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> We're not bound by time. That's very true. Yeah. Uh, and so we are reading, or have read, uh, Flannery O'Connor's Revelation, which is from her um, short story pack book, Everything Which Rises Must Converge, or Everything That Rises, that rises Must, must Converge. converge. Um, it was written very close to the end of her life. Uh, so she died quite young at 39 years of age due to lupus, um, complications with that, uh, which didn't have a cure at the time. And I don't think still, I think still doesn't have a cure. It's just a treated disease. Um, yeah, which is very sad, but it's, um, I don't know. Let's, let's just quickly describe it. This is going to be just 20 minutes of me talking. I can tell, (laughs) I can tell Victoria, you've got to like, just at least like, at least be like, you know how in rap duos, there's like, you know, there's the guy who sings the the rapping bridge and then there's the rap. Yeah. At least, at least take on that role. You know, I've got to hand it over to you for the breakdown at some point. Um, when there's something to be said, it will be said. Let's just leave it at that. Okay. So, um, yeah. What am I, what am I talking about? Um, I need a Kiara to like get in. And so, um, it's, it's about two people. It's about lots of people, but, um, a woman named uh, Mrs. Turpin and her husband, Claude go to the doctors, uh, because Claude has a, um, has a wound on his leg from a cow kicking him. They're farmers, um, and somewhat wealthy farmers at that. And, most of the story takes place within this waiting room that they meet, uh, and it's from, vaguely, from uh, Mrs. Turpin's perspective. Uh, and there are various people in this waiting room. You have um, the woman only known as, most of them don't have names because it's sort of in her head, uh, the pleasant lady mm-hmm. uh, and her daughter, who we know her name is Mary Grace. And then a family, so a grandmother, presumably, a mother and, uh, and her child um, who are, Described by Mrs. Turpin as white trash. Um, and then a couple of other characters, which sort of don't really make much effect on the story. They're sort of just there. Mm. Now, um, Mary Grace uh, <laughs> spends most of this time staring furiously, intently at uh, Mrs. Turpin, which is quite put off by. And she's having discussions and also discussions in her head about the various people around her. Um, that she thinks that the white trash are terrible, that she, um, I don't know, do, do you want to describe that a little bit? She, about Miss Turpin? Yeah, Ms. yeah. Miss Turpin has um, the discrepancy between what she says out loud mm. and her internal comments yeah. are, are quite, that there's, there's a difference. Um, mm. But you know what? They make you reflect on, on your own life as well because how many times have we all 
And it's it's of course excellent to be polite. Yeah, something it's something that I've polite. read about this is yeah. that um, Flannery O'Connor a lot of the time in her works criticizes. She calls it, I think, Southern politeness, oh, which yeah. is like this very specific cult like cultural element of the South. Yeah, it's like you put on this face of like of politeness, but on the inside you've got rage going on. Yeah, um, and we talked about that. I think with a good man is hard to find. Yeah, which yeah. by the way, that's where you can find a lot of the information that we gave about Flannery O'Connor. A yeah, little bit more yeah, about Southern about Gothic genres and yeah, all we that. we won't talk about that yeah, in this episode. Go look at that episode. But, yeah, um, so she she really has a distaste for for the what she describes as white trash. So, presumably poor uh, white people there. You also see, actually, there's a scene that probably describes it quite well, which is her reflecting upon the dreams, or mm-hmm. rather the narrator reflecting upon the dreams that she has as she goes to sleep of her kind of grouping together different classes of people. So you've got on the bottom of the heap, you've got the so-called white trash. And then you also have the, the uh, we'll go with, we're trying to figure out a word for this. We'll go with black people. Are we going to go with that? Is that politically incorrect? Uh, Are we colored people, African-American? Let's just go with that. Um, <laughs> she uses the N word profusely throughout this, which is because it's meant to, she's, she's not holding back on the, the colloquialisms of the South. Um, so, just a heads up if you're going to read it. Don't be offended by that. Um, and then above that, you have just the regular ho- homeowners. Mm-hmm. And then you have the home and landowners, which Claude and Mrs. Turpin belong to. And then you have above them the people who own more ho- more land, I Yeah, guess. but then she also... So, feels- she's sort of middle class and yeah. just putting, like, the upper class above Well, the her. thing is, even when she's classifying people, putting them into these uh, strata, she gets quite distressed because then she thinks about the people well, hang that, on a second there are there are black people who fit into the home and la- yeah that have and property the, and the dentist <laughs> that's really the dentist down the road who owns two red lincolns and a pool and 10 cattle and like it's rather amusing her like <laughs> grappling with herself about how her worldview might not quite fit and then she just goes to sleep um <laughs> and doesn't really deal with it too well but this very much spills out onto mm. the way she thinks. I mean, as I said, we never find out the names of most of the people except Mary Grace because her name is revealed by her mother. Um, everyone else is referred to as white trash lady, um, <laughs> uh, pleasant lady, and the leathery skinned woman, <laughs> and then her child who the man would have who, been sitting there at all. Uh, <laughs> the man that was uh, pretending to be asleep when yeah. she walked into the room looking for somewhere, <laughs> for to, somewhere sit. to sit. <laughs> It's very, it's quite funny, but we see that, as you say, there's a quite a big distinction between what she says and what's going on internally. For all intents and purposes, from the outside, she seems like a very, very pleasant woman. And she yes. does quite well internally to try and justify herself that, you know, I help people all the time. And she says, <laughs> again, there's a humorous thing running <laughs> through it, which is that, she reflects upon how if she was able to talk to Christ before she was born, oh. how she would have been made. And she's like, what if I would have been either a black person or, or a white trash? Which should I be? <laughs> oh, I don't know which one I would be. <laughs> and then she brings in because Mary Grace, the daughter, is quite uh, quite ugly. Um, oh, would, could I have been ugly? Or And she sort of comes to this conclusion of I'm so glad that I'm made the way that I am. And she's quite lofty about this fact that she's the way she is. This all she, comes- the thing is about Sorry. Mrs. Turpin, just as a side note, um, she's not all bad. She has the makings for one of those really jolly, saintly people because she 
She has mm. the makings for it. She's obviously, you know, as we all are, have our problems and she really needs to work on uh, inner sanctity. Uh, <laughs> this is To, to yeah. complement her outer politeness. But there's so much more to being, like... This I- is something I think that we'll get that we'll talk about, I think... A little later. bit later. Yeah, yeah, later. Because okay. well, I think the there's, fact, there's the fact, a lot to that. Well, the fact is that she she does actually have quite a good disposition. Well, it's quite... Outside it's too, yeah. of the racism and the fact that she can't see that she's quite conceited in some ways. And grouping of people and kind of like... The, the thing is... Writing people off. got a few treasures there. She can laugh at things. Her and her husband seem to actually have a very good relationship. They're quite good. Yeah, she's quite a good-natured... Yeah. Disposition's the correct word. And that's actually the term that's used Mm. as the story goes on. Mary Grace just looks furious at Mrs. Turpin. Mm. And she even says, like, it seems like that she's been angry at her for her whole life. And that's Mrs. Turpin's life. Not just the girl's life. Not just the girl's life. Mrs. Turpin's whole life. That she's hated her for her whole life. And she just finds this really confusing. Like, I've never met you before. Like, what is this? This all comes to a head when... um, I'll have to go back to where it is. This all comes to a head. And I'm going to actually quote the whole Mm -hmm. thing. Okay. So, um, they start sort of passive-aggressively, her and the pleasant lady, the mother of Mary Grace, passive-aggressively talking about Mary Grace, the daughter. And so, I'll just quote from here. Never heard anyone to smile, Mrs. Turpin said. It just makes you feel better all over. Of course, the lady said sadly. But there are just some people who you can't tell anything to. They can't take criticism. If it's one thing I am, Mrs. Turpin said with a feeling, it's grateful. When I think who all I could have been besides myself and what all I got, a little of everything and a good disposition besides, I just feel like shouting, thank you, Jesus, for making everything the way it is. It could have been different. For one thing, somebody else could have got clawed. At the thought of this, she was flooded with gratitude and a terrible pang of joy rang through her. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you, she cried aloud. The book struck her directly above the left eye. It struck almost the same instant that she realised the girl was about to hurl it. Before she could utter a sound, the raw face came crashing across toward her, howling. The girl's fingers sank like clamps in the soft flesh of her neck. She heard the mother cry out and Claude shout, Whoa! So, I'll just skip ahead then to this sort of this commotion in the room after the book's been thrown at her and, and she's attempting to choke her. The doctors come in and sedate her. And then... Just to return to the story, Mrs. Turpin's head cleared and her power of motion returned. She leaned forward until she was looking directly in the fierce, brilliant eyes. There was no doubt in her mind that the girl did know her, knew her in some intense and personal way, beyond time and place and condition. What do you want to say to me? She said hoarsely and held her breath, waiting, as for a revelation. The girl turned her head, her gaze locked with Mrs. Turpin's. Go back to hell where you came from, you old warthog. So this, um, the girl then collapses from the sedation uh, and she's taken to hospital and everything sort of gets cleared up and they go home. Um, There's sort of a bit more that happens as they get home, but the the conclusion of the story is that she essentially loses her cool with God um, because she sees this go back to hell where you came from, you old warthog, as somewhat of a revelation, uh, hence the title of the story, so it seems at the moment. Um, and she's frustrated. I'm such a good person. You know, how could this have happened? How can you be saying to me, God, that I'm this old warthog? You know, it really cuts her deeply. 
And then she has this vision um, in the sunset of this kind of highway or swinging bridge um, up into heaven with, at the head of the um, this procession. Kind of procession through this blazing fire are all the white trash and the, uh, and the black people um, and all the people that she considers to be sort of the scum. She says like really. lunatics as well. Lunatics yeah. and all those people that she just wrote off. At the end of the procession, were people walking gentlemanly-like, I guess you could say. Um, And those were her own people in the sense of, like, middle to upper-class landowners who um, were very proper. And it notes that even their virtues were being burnt away. And so she has this revelation in a sense that all the people that she had written off um, and all the things that she had considered to be vital in this life of defining what a good person is really aren't actually it. And on this revelation, she goes back and and is quite, it seems quite content with what had been revealed to her, that really this getting hammered over the head um, with a book called Human Development, which I found quite funny, um, <laughs> and being almost choked to death by a woman named Mary Grace, um, actually did make sense in the end, that she needed to be snapped out of where she was at. She was quite content with herself. Uh, and she needed to be snapped out of that because she ought not be. Okay, so... That's um, the story. That's the story. We took a long time to describe it. But, I mean, we covered quite a bit in there that mm. that I think needed to be needed to be covered, which is that, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What do, what do we want to quickly... Well, maybe we should just about? highlight because it, it might seem a bit obvious to us, but that's because we've read it and done a bit of research and had a bit mm. of talk, but maybe the Catholic elements of it. I suppose. Yeah, I guess, well, that's perhaps something that Flannery O'Connor was really pointing out, was this sense that, um, I bang on about this a lot, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it because it's going to seem like I'm Protestant bashing, but um, this sense of that she kind of feels that she's saved. I'm a good person. Actually, it's not necessarily a Protestant thing. The good person thing is just a general state of the Western world, I think. Do you know what I actually think? It's... Even worse than that, because she, f- I think she almost feels, and we all slip into this at some point, so this isn't just us sitting here on our high horses looking at Mrs. Turpin. Turpin. I think she feels that through some merit of her own, she was given the opportunity to be who she was. Mm. As in some other people, through some, you know, crime they committed before they were born, were given some less than ideal um, uh skin colour, situation, disposition. We could talk about that because there are element sects within Christianity that do think yes. that. But we won't talk about um, that directly. But the fact and is... And I don't think that would have been in Flannery O'Connor's No. Because that's not that region of the United States. No, 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 no. know no. what I'm talking about here. But, but the, anyway. The fact is um, that Mrs. Turpin feels... I feel that she thinks that she's merited to be where she is and she doesn't quite realise that she hasn't merited that at all. It's just been given to her. It's not... Um, it's not even really a blessing, so to speak. She keeps talking about it as a blessing. And the it's, fact is yeah. that she's been given much, so she must return much. And she's not. Actually, it's really <laughs> it's really interesting because um, I was reading... Actually, that, that reminds me a lot of um, reading on Facebook just with the, the synod on the families being going on. And there's been a lot of discussion about um, divorced and remarried, uh, just really difficult situations or difficult family situations. And I read this comment from someone and I found it to be a really fascinating comment. They were saying 
that their mother was in a quite a difficult family situation, but she had been, I think, abused or something like that as a child. And so it's no wonder that she is just in the very terrible situation that she's in. Now, that's not condoning what she may or may not have, I have no idea, have done. But she made, this person made this quote, or made this statement, that they're just sick of people um, being born on third base and acting like they've hit a triple, which... To try and translate that into Australian English, like that, that made no sense to me. <laughs> like to hit a triple is to in baseball is to hit the ball and run three bases. Oh, okay, right. And like they're saying, people are born on third base and acting like they'd run just run third base. Oh, three bases. okay, yes, that's it. what I'm they talking just, about. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Like they haven't done that at all. Like they just happen to have those good things. And for Mrs. Turpin, yes, indeed, she's she been have, born on third been, base she's and she's bo- having this big inner criticism of those who might be just on first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And as though that really she can just settle. That she's just like, yeah. I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I've made it. I can, I've, I'm a good person. I do what I can. I go and help people all the time. Mm. I can just sit back and say that I'm good and I can look down on all the others and say, oh, you know, what terrible people they are. Sometimes, I mean, we can slip. It's pride, really. Yeah. And we can slip it's into part that. of being human. And sometimes we need Mary Grace to hit us over the head with a, bit, with a book called Human, human Development. Development. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that Bonnie O'Connor did that by accident. No. Um, <laughs> she strikes me as a very shrewd woman. Yeah. That was probably having a bit of a laugh to herself over her mint julep. And so, <laughs> Just yeah, shove in every southern um, cliche I can think of. <laughs> but yeah, it's. Um, I think I, you know, I know I personally like just to sort of. Uh, I don't know. This is probably just a co- melancholic, choleric thing. Um, <laughs> those moments that you have where you just realise what a terrible person you are. I think that's and you called, can't... you know, reflective human being. <laughs> no, I mean, like, <laughs> in this intense, like, okay. I am a terrible, terrible person. And you'll just go through, like, hours <laughs> of thinking about how horrible you are. No, because seriously, like, I've, like, this is this is really good. I wish I'd read this months ago. Where you kind of have these moments where you realise, how many assumptions do I bring into the world about people? Like, Mm. I don't even know these people. And I am, I might not be consciously thinking about it, but I am writing them off as being bad people. When really, they've done nothing. I have no proof of them doing anything wrong whatsoever. Mm. And we can really slip into that. And I think that's one of the hardest things. Of course, you know, there's, Christianity is is a journey. It's not a destination per mm. se. Christ is the destination, but we need his grace to, to go on that journey. And so anytime we think, you know, I've made it, I'm set, I've managed to stop that swearing. That is the first sign that you are sign. so far back that, you, yeah, you need to... Because, I mean, look at the saints. Like, look at the stuff they wrote about themselves. <laughs> like, they thought they were pretty... And that's not false humility, like, in the sense of, oh, I'm so terrible. No, like, they were legitimately saying, I'm just not worthy of anything What's that, like um, that phrase? If, if the soul is like a pane of glass, the closer it is to the light, the more you can see the scratches. Mm. And I think it's just a saying. I'm yeah, not sure okay. it's attributed to anyone. Um, yeah, the closer the pane of glass is to the light, you can see all the scratches and where it needs to be fixed and things like that. But the further it is from the light, the more you think it looks quite perfect. Yeah. And that's what the human soul's like. Um, the closer we are to heaven, I think the more we'll see what's wrong with us. And the more I think we'll be looking forward to those sort of things being purged away. 
and that's that's a really good segue into that last scene where you have that purgatory scene i guess it's really beautiful i quite like how that was i'd I'd actually confession i hadn't read that bit luke read it out loud to me so it was actually quite nice to hear yeah Um, it's um it is quite beautiful the what is it the like the purple streak going through the crimson like a swing bridge going often that the um sky is purple as a side note yes it's orange it's pink something you notice and i I only started noticing this when I read something that pointed out is that Flannery kind of all talks about the sky all the time. And apparently it's like a key. I, I don't quite understand. Maybe I have to read into her a little bit more, but it's usually a bit of a key point. Like whatever's going on with the sky tends to be oh, so it's a bit like... reflective of something that's going on. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes um, sense. I mean, we all have those moments. For yeah. some people, it's the sea. For some people, it's, you know... A, a canyon or a gorge, but for a lot of people, it is the sky. So I can see why. And she I just would imagine, like, she's from a beautiful part of the world. So mm. I just imagine that, like, you know, the color of the sky in the deep south would probably be Lovely. something that would change <laughs> and be all sorts of funny colors. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting that, like, that that line that she says, even their virtues were being burnt yeah, away. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Do you think that that's like the southern polite, like? Like the southern virtues? I, I don't... I sorry, that's not the right phrase, but you know what I mean. The, I'm just trying to think of, of an equivalent. This kind of... Um, yeah, this, this kind of sense that their virtues, which were, I, I think... Someone may be able to correct me on this, but the virtues, like what they consider, they as in um, Mrs. Turpin, what Mrs. Turpin considers to be good character isn't really mm. revealing of who they are as a person. Yes, it's a good first step because it sure is better being like Mrs. Turpin than it is being, I guess, you know, a person who yells in traffic all the time and, and what have you. Mm. Um, that's, that was a weird example, but it's anything I could think <laughs> but of. But we live in Sydney, you know, so we see that quite often. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a common experience here in Sydney. Um, yeah, the... That those kinds of things are a good start, but they really only mean something when they caught when there's an interior change. Mm, going I'd also on. like to point out, and this might be a bit of a tangent and a little bit of a bit of a rant. Victoria yeah, ranting now. It's not Luke ranting. So we often come across people, or at least I often do, who are. Constantly talk about how they don't like people who are two-faced. I'm just being honest. They say when they say something ex- explicitly rude. Yeah. And Frank. Yeah. Okay. And I, I've never been able to articulate myself quite well in response to this. I think I know this. exactly what you mean. But yeah. the thing is that these people, they really do think that they are being the best kind of human being they can because they're, there's a one-way highway between what they're thinking and what they say. And that's just being truthful and honest. And, because, and honesty is a virtue, is it not? And this is the thing. It shouldn't be like that. I think, as Luke said, Mrs. Turpin is is heading somewhere good she's on quite possibly the lowest step there is but the fact is she still has she has these terrible inner thoughts and critiques and things like that but she still makes the effort yeah a small effort to i don't know mask them because she she knows what's she knows what she should be doing it's just that that should hasn't actually turned into as in my whole being. Rather, yes. it seems to be a kind of social norm mm. rather than a guide to who you are as a person. So I don't want to offend anyone. Or I don't want people to think bad well, of Well, she, she's in the office and she's talking about how... She's talking about 
African American people who are their um their workers at the moment on the cotton field and about how there are worse things than them, but they're still pretty terrible. And then everyone actually falls quite politely quiet when a young black boy comes in and drops something off at the doctors and walks out. Yeah. And she even helps him. She directs him towards where... Yeah, the- I think, yeah, there's definitely a lot going on there that I think Flannery O'Connor's yeah, and- observing at her, yeah, her the, time period. The yeah, but the fact is that I disagree with the type of person that I described before. I feel that you need you need to make an effort, and not in a way to mask it, in the hopes that slowly, surely, and by the grace of God, you can conform... Um, maybe your interior wickedness to maybe this out exterior politeness or just hope that from it's gradually getting, from the inside things, it exudes it's out it's getting things the wrong way around yeah it's saying that yes you're like it's taking the statement what comes out of you i guess you could you could say should be reflective of what is on the inside it takes that says that that's the golden rule mm. and runs with it Rather than that simply being the, hang on a second, you're saying nice things. Maybe what you say should be what is on the inside, therefore reform your Yeah, inside. so the, the kind of social like, niceties are almost like a pointer towards hope, how are hopefully, you meant to be, yeah, you should be really than, thinking this, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like, this is a really weird example, but do you know like a compound bow? You know a Pardon? Compound, a compound bow. Like a like firing a bow and arrow, Legless, like a compound. Right. Yeah, like a compound, <laughs> it's like a contemporary version with all these levers and that. Like it's more powerful and. Oh okay. Anyway, go for it. So it's so with one of those, like you can, um, you can fire them. But the really dangerous thing about them is, is if you fire one, I've never fired one by the way. But if you fire <laughs> one without an arrow in it, you'll break the compound bow because it's designed oh. to have a bow in it. And so if you're just mucking around, and you fire it. Without a bow in it, you'll actually without an arrow in it, you'll break it. I think there's a certain sense of that with what's going on with what you're saying. They're getting the stages mixed up. It's like you're meant to. The idea of the compound bow is not simply to fire it. Mm. It's to put the bow in first, and it's the bow. I keep saying that. It's <laughs> to put the arrow in first and then fire it. If you haven't put the arrow in, you're wasting your time firing it. You're going to break the thing. And it's the same thing here. It's all well and good to say, oh, you know, you should be honest about what you're really thinking. Okay, that's all well and good. But what you're really thinking should actually be legitimately good. It doesn't end with mm. with that. Um, but we really need to the wrap bad. up, I think. Oh, um, it's Yeah, it's time to, time to finish. Well, I think I'd just like to end just with quickly, just a yeah. bit of a... Something I'm curious about. I've noticed in the past... A uh, year or so, whenever it was we did our first Flannery O'Connor, so that was the first time I was really introduced to her. Um, it's sort of like when you buy a car and then you see that car everywhere. So once I knew about her, she was everywhere. And she is mentioned, you know, in, in films and television and things like that. Uh, and when you talk to people about books they like. She gets brought up a lot and I've just noticed this trend of non-Catholics, non-Christians really liking her. And... I mean, you can write in about this if that's if that if you fall under this category. But I really want to know what it is that strikes you about her. Is it the weird characters, like something always weird, kind of snaps into action, or is it the psychology of it, or is there something like ebbing away? Like, is the truth perceptible? I don't, I don't know. I'm just really I'm curious sure about I this. I have that. no answer. It's just how I wanted to end it that I've just noticed this, and I'm intensely curious as to what it is about Flannery O'Connor that the whole world seems to love. Well, it's, it's interesting because, and this, I guess this is the sort of final statement 
um, that it, there even even amongst la- even for lapsed Catholics who go mm. into art and literature, there tends to be something about them. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but this is something that tends to be noted. The truth that, sticks around. No, but they tend to do things. Catholics tend to approach these things a bit differently. Like there's something about the oh, way people that they have pointed arts. that out, out about even, um, even like... lapsed Catholics. As long as they've had like a Catholic, or at least in this case, usually kind of like a 1950s Catholic education. Mm. Even if they've fallen away from the church, there's something there that I think is present within Flannery O'Connor, and it's this perceptibility for reality mm. that sits around because they tend to even like the lapsed Catholics tend to write really dark stories and things like that. Mm. But there's just still something there. Maybe that's what it is. I'm not sure. The whole yeah, the Catholic thing stays there whether you want it to or not. People have actually noted that, and I've said this before, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and actually more recently Bruce Springsteen. As a side mm. note, people have gone through his stories, his stories, his songs, which are stories. I'm a bit of a fan. Um, and like, even though that's not really what he uh, subscribes to, it that these yeah. undercurrent themes that can only come from being brought up with certain Catholic values. They're just still there. Yeah. Uh, it's really interesting. Anyway. If, if it was legal for us to do this, I would totally, at this point, <laughs> bring on, uh, what is it? Is it Dancing in the Dancing Dark? Dancing in the Dark. <laughs> as, as our outro song, but it's not. We're going to have uh, our usual our outro usual song instead. And, um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to read. Kiara said that we could give her any book mm-hmm. um, for her to read. I jokingly said War and Peace. She replied <laughs> with uh, Lame Is. Um, so I don't know what should what should we read next time? Do you have any? Uh, the next two weeks will be quite Heavy. possibly the, the heaviest two weeks you know of we the planet do? on the planet. No, you know what we should do? Seriously, seriously, because you're working so hard on this, we should read um, uh, the importance of being earnest. Okay, I don't even need to read it then. I know that back no, to front. I mean. I mean. <laughs> okay, we'll do that. Um, okay. And I don't need to read it either because I'm going to go see it. Uh, um, it's like not some weird adaption that like adaptation. No, the, I did that thing. The again. thing, the so I'm just very quickly involved with the performance of the importance of being earnest. We've got the four act version. The three act version is what's usually available. Okay. So I'll read that instead because that's what you'll okay. the two of you will find. Anyway, okay. so we'll cool. see you then. Yes, uh, the importance of being earnest next time on Catholics Read. Bye. Bye. That was an episode of Catholics Read from cradio.org.au.